Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Thirty years ago, a new catchphrase entered into the popular lexicon thanks to a very sentimental baseball movie starring Kevin Costner called Field of Dreams. Now, this is not part of our official liturgy, but I do want to experiment a little bit and just see how familiar you are with this. I'm going to give you the first part of the famous catchphrase, and I'd like you to answer with the second part, the conclusion. Um, So loosen up just a moment. Forget that you're in church. Forget that you're in Presbyterian church. Forget your personal dignity and prepare to answer my words with whatever comes to mind when you hear them. So here we go. Everybody ready? Nod like this so that I know. Yes, good. Um, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. That was wonderful. In fact, that was more forceful, I think, than some of our earlier responses, which is troubling. And sadly, you also got the quote wrong, because if you go back and watch the movie, it's not if you build it, they will come. It's if you build it, what? He will come. Gold star. He will come. But of course, it's changed a little bit in our usage, and people say this all the time. If you build it, they will come. And when people say that, what they mean is, whatever your vision is, whatever your dream is, if you do the work to make it happen, to realize that vision, if you invest the time and the effort and the resources, if you make the sacrifice that is necessary to build that thing, then when you do, people all around will be drawn in by your passion, by that vision. If you build it, they will come. They will gather together around what you've built. And I hope that sounded inspiring But I also want you to know that it defies common sense, that it is exactly backwards, that this is not the way sensible people do things. Sensible people don't invest all their resources in a dream in the hope that if they spend themselves utterly, they will be saved by this sudden appearance of random people who are drawn in by the building. It's the other way around. If you are sensible common sense kind of person, you don't build it so that they will come. You, you let them come and then you build it in response to the need. Right? This is just the basics of supply and demand. Right? You don't want to manufacture a bunch of stuff that nobody's asking for, hoping that eventually they will have a desire for it. You want to see where the desire is and then make stuff to meet that desire. You don't build it so they will come. Wherever they're going, that's where you want to be because that's where you'll be able to unload whatever you're trying to unload. Which is why no matter what kind of startup you look at, if you look at startup businesses or startup churches, the received wisdom is find out where people are already going, what they already want, and build that. Because then you can be confident that they will show up, but to build whatever you're dreaming of and just hope that people come, 
That's crazy. That defies common sense. The glorious thing is, our God delights in defying common sense. He loves to do things that make no sense according to what the Apostle Paul calls man's wisdom. In Zechariah's day, the rebuilders of the temple were called to do something that defied common sense. They were rebuilding a temple, but they themselves were just a remnant. They were a handful of the people who had once lived in Jerusalem. They lived in a city that was a ruin that that could never really be, it seemed to them, what it had once been because it was so depopulated. Because there just weren't enough of them to justify the work that they had been called to do. They were building a temple that was, although it was humble, it was beyond their needs. It was more than was necessary for them. And here at this halfway point in that rebuilding process, now at the end they find out what that work of rebuilding is for. What is the reason that they've been called to do this rebuilding work? Who is it for, really? As we as a church begin the process of rebuilding in a post-pandemic world, we also need a vision of where we're going. Because God has called us to do a lot of work. He's called us to do a lot of rebuilding. And you may ask yourself if we really need all the things that we've been called to do. If it's really worth it, what is all this effort really for? So we share the same need that they did. We need to know what this rebuilding is for. And that's what God reveals in our passage. He answers that question. I've called you to work, and now I'm going to tell you why. What it's all about. What it's really for. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. These are wondrous words. What's being described here is something beautiful and breathtaking. There's only one word to describe the scene here, and that word is awakening. An awakening is taking place. And it's the kind of thing, it's really moving if you're one of those people who's ever tried to argue someone you love into the kingdom. If you've ever had a knockdown, drag out fight with someone about why they should believe, why they should have faith, why they should come into the community of Christ. And then you read a passage like this, it should make your heart soar. Because what's being described here is not that kind of intellectual tug of war, this battle of wills. What's being described here is people who had been dead in sins waking up to reality. People being drawn by God. What God is saying is, the purpose, the reason that I have called you to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple is that you are building for an awakening. You're building for an awakening. Something wonderful is going to happen. God is going to stir a great awakening among the nations. Jerusalem has been rebuilt. And in our text, we cast forward to a time when people 
of the nations, the Gentiles, people spread throughout the world will suddenly awaken to a longing for God and will turn their eyes and their steps towards Jerusalem, the city of God. It is a longing for God's grace that leads them to, in the words of the prophecy, seek the Lord of hosts. These people who had been sleeping, who had been dead in sin, now are seekers of the God who made them. They encourage one another in this seeking as well. You read the words, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. They're encouraging one another city to city. And they themselves are following this longing too. This isn't missionary work that's being described. It's not that someone has gone out from Jerusalem preaching the gospel to these hard-hearted people and somehow getting them to turn and take an interest. Like These are the lost themselves who are now encouraging one another to go on this journey of discovery. We're saying, let us go to Jerusalem. Let us go to the presence of of the Lord of hosts, encouraging one another by their own example. Let's go together. I myself am going. Imagine what a glorious day that would be. And the people that you love and you care about, that you desperately long to see in this place, to see reconciled to Christ, that, that you would do anything to make that happen. And here God says, I'm going to stir them up. I'm going to give them this longing. It's going to happen within them. It's not going to be by your strength. It's going to be something I do in them where they not only come to seek me, but they encourage others to do so as well. Those are wonderful words. This awakening is what the rebuilding is actually for. God calls His people to build the house And then God brings more people and more people to fill the house that His people have made. So when you see these words, you've got to remember God's going to pack the house. God has promised you're not going to build this temple in vain. You're going to build it and I'm going to fill it beyond your wildest dreams. When you see those words, people shall yet come, that's a promise. Those are words of assurance to the builders that your work is not in vain. That as you rebuild, you should know that the nations will come, that people will be drawn to fill this house of God. That this house will be a home for the nations. It will be a dwelling place for humanity. That's good news. The temple of the new Jerusalem will be the body of Christ. It will be a home for all the nations whom God has stirred up to seek Him. It should be perfectly clear from this, by the way, that the Old Testament God is saying in the Old Testament that Jerusalem, the city that's being built as His dwelling place, it will be a dwelling place for the nations, for Jew and Gentile alike. And He's saying this in the Old Testament. There's no... Plan B, there's no interruption. The New Testament, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't represent some kind of abnormality or change of path. This is what God always intended 
his house to be. The body of Christ was always intended to incorporate the nations in the way that Zechariah prophesies it will. So yes, there are differences between the Old Testament and the New, but the New Testament is not a a new way of salvation compared to the Old. It's simply the completion of what was started, the fulfillment of what was promised in the Old. Of course, what Jesus does when he comes is he gathers the nations. We saw the fulfillment of this vision in Zechariah Literally, last week, as we reflected on Pentecost, remember the scene where the Holy Spirit is poured out on this polyglot group of people, so many different languages, hearing the gospel in, as it seemed to them, their native tongue, their heart language. The first coming of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of this promise, a stirring up of the nations took place at that time. We see the nations gathering at Pentecost, as you continue to read in the New Testament, the book of Acts, the epistles that follow, you see the church expanding its horizons. You see the church going from being very small, centered in Jerusalem, to expanding throughout Israel, expanding throughout the Roman world, encompassing the nations. The Jewish Messiah And his Jewish apostles become a beacon of salvation to the Gentiles in fulfillment of prophecies like this one. But this is a prophecy that is still coming true. It's not something that that happened, was done and dusted at the end of the book of Acts. This is still happening. People are still coming because God is still calling God is still stirring them up to seek Him. He's still awakening a longing for Him inside of them. In fact, if you don't believe this, you only have to ask yourself, what are you doing here? What brought you here? You're here because you've been awakened. You are here because God woke you up. He stirred you up and put it within your heart to seek Him. And you came. Let us go at once, you said. I myself am going. And here you are. Here you are in answer to his call. God is saying, what I've done in you, I will do in others as well. People will yet come. And that's why we're building. We're building because more are coming. We're building because we have to. Because the temple's going to need to be big accommodate what God is doing. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The rebuilders of Jerusalem clearly have a mission. They've been tasked not only with rebuilding the physical temple, but also representing the God of that temple, to the nations. They are the ones that the nations will turn to for guidance. When the seekers are awakened, they will turn to the people of God for direction. In the early church, you saw this. It was the church in Jerusalem, that Jewish church which led the way. 
when there were disputes, when there were conflicts in the early church, friction that needed resolving. It was a council at Jerusalem that settled the direction of the church. That leadership was given by that church. It took the Gentiles in. It, it incorporated them into the body and then led the way. And now, those of us who know Christ have the same mission that they did. The same mission as guides. It's our mission. Not only as Christians do we have this mission in common with all those who believe, but we as a church, grace, this is our mission. Our mission statement emphasizes this movement of awakening that we see in Zechariah. We say, if you look in your order of worship, you'll find these words. This church, grace, is a place where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way. Where seeking turns into finding. Where people who have a longing awakened in them that leads them to seek more can find what God has put it in their hearts to look for. That's the kind of church we long to be. A place where those who are seeking find what they are seeking. What happens here by God's grace is that finding can happen. Here God teaches us to name our longings. We understand them better. We understand ourselves better. More importantly, we understand Him better as well. What happens in this final oracle of chapter 8 is something else we talk about in our vision. Not only that you find what you are seeking, but that you share your gifts with the world. Sharing. That those who have found God's presence share God's presence. They lead the way. Let us go with you, the nations say, for we have heard that God is with you. Seekers awakened by God, need to join finders on the journey. They need to be guided towards the presence of God. And the people who can do that guiding are those who have found what they are looking for. And finders need to share what they have found. So what is it that needs to be shared exactly? I say this a lot. I said it, I think, in our our latest members class. One of the things as a church that we try to be conscientious about is not asking people to share what they've never found. We don't want to put you on the front line sharing grace with people if you yourself have never experienced it. The important thing is to find it. The important thing is to find more grace and as a result of the experience of finding it, you naturally share it. But what is it we're sharing exactly? What we're sharing is what the nations say here, God with us. God with us. Emmanuel, in the Hebrew here, Elohim, Emeikim. We have heard that Elohim, that God is with you. Emmanuel being another word prophetically for Jesus Christ. God who took on flesh and dwelled among us. As if the nations turn to the church and say, we've heard that Christ is with you, so let us journey alongside you. God promises us that just as He has awakened us, He will awaken others. Just as we came into His presence, others 
will be drawn into his presence as well. He calls us to build so that they can journey along with us. And when they come seeking, we must help them find, even as we continue to seek ourselves. It's not that we've arrived. It's not that we have Jesus in total. And it's up to us to just sort of dispense that grace left and right. We continue to journey. We continue to seek as they do. But the nations clinging to that sleeve, clinging to that robe, say, let us come with you. Let us come with you because we've heard that he is with you. As we rebuild our church and our community post-pandemic, there are two words from Zechariah that I hope we can cling to. The first, these words we see at the beginning, people shall yet come. I have to be honest with you, when I first started preaching through Zechariah, these are words that I meditated on and reflected on a lot because it was a comfort to me as a pastor seeing how much we had lost during the course of the pandemic to tell myself in the words of this prophecy, people shall yet come. Don't worry. Don't worry, Pastor Mark. Don't fall on your sword. People shall yet come. It's okay. Once this is all over, God will build us back up. And in my weakness, that was a comfort to me. That everything that we've lost, we can rebuild in hope because God is awakening others. God will fill this place. What we're building isn't just for us. Although right now, honestly, a lot of our rebuilding is driven by personal considerations. It's what we've lost. It's the hole that we fill that drives us to focus on like bringing that part of our lives back the relationships that we miss, the experiences that that we have gone without for so long that motivate us. But remember in that, that it is not just for ourselves that we rebuild. We're not the only ones that God has given this longing to. All of us are in this together, rebuilding for them as much as we do for us. So don't be like your pastor. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. God is awakening a new generation and people shall yet come. But to be honest with you, the words of comfort for me in this passage now have shifted from the beginning to the end. And it's these words that the nations speak that I find endless comfort in. We have heard that God is with you. We have heard that God is with you. These are the words where my heart is settled. And I hope yours can settle there as well. Not in the promise of people to come, but in the presence that draws them in. No point in gathering a crowd if God isn't here. The reason that God calls us to rebuild is to dwell with us, pure and simple. It's so that we can know him and find the satisfaction of our longings. So the reputation that we want as a community, as a church, is one that leads those who are longing for God to tug at our sleeves. We want people to grab at our robes and pull and say, hey, hey, I have heard that God is with you. Let me journey with you. We want to be known, in other words, as a place where God dwells, and that is the most important thing. Not a a thing where people say, hey, we've heard about your virtue. We've heard about your crowds. We've heard about your programs. We've heard about your influence in the community. We've heard about all the successful people that are part of your community. We've heard about your new building. We've heard about your pastor's sermons. 
right? We want to be a church where people have heard that God is with us, regardless of all the rest. That's what matters. You can have all the rest and not have a church. You can have all of those things and still not be a faithful community of God. But if the presence of God is with you, if God dwells with you, then none of those other things really matter. If God is with us, we have the only thing that fulfills the longing of our hearts. And that's what we must cling to. God is drawing people to Himself. And we want to be a place known for God's presence. A place where people can journey to find Him along with us. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.